Welcome to the Self-Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Sitt. I work primarily as a therapist with individuals, couples, and families, and the focus of this podcast is to explore the topic of self-connection, basically what it means to have a healthy, vital, and loving relationship with ourselves and with each other. In this podcast interview, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sharon Lotion and John Banman. These are two prominent leaders and teachers of the Satir model. And our focus today is the topic of context. I had started writing and thinking about context uh, several months ago and had shared some notes with them and thought that a conversation amongst the three of us would be an interesting way of exploring the topic and learning uh, from, from them and then also uh, maybe even experiencing context together. So Sharon Lotion has over four decades of experience as a psychotherapist, teacher, trainer. She's the past president of the Virginia Satir Global Network, and she uses the Satir growth model to facilitate learning and healing with the people that she works with. She's developed the Satir coaching and mentoring cert certification program, which is being well received around the world. You can learn more about her and her work by visiting satirglobal.org. She's also written many, many books, but I'll just mention a couple. One is Enriching Your Relationship with Yourself and Others and Choosing Your Life Story, Inspirational Stories of Transformation from the Streets of South Central Los Angeles. And you can purchase both of these books from the satirglobal.org website. John Banman is one of the foremost experts and teachers of the Satir model. He's co-authored the book, The Satir Model, Family Therapy and Beyond, and has written and edited many, many other books related to Virginia Satir's work. He was a personal friend, colleague uh, of Virginia's for many years and has taken the lead as an instructor, teaching, creating training programs in dozens of countries in Asia, Europe, South and North America. He provides uh, supervision for counselors, psychotherapists, and for family therapists. He was a instructor, associate, and adjunct professor at the University of Columbia for 21 years, uh, as well as an honorary associate professor at the University of Hong Kong. I have the honor and privilege of being able to call both of these wonderful people friends and mentors. So just for some background, we're going to be talking and making reference to Virginia Satir. If you don't already know, Virginia Satir was one of the mo one of the prominent and founding figures in family therapy. She was born in 1916 and died in 1988. So uh, she, I think, in the in the 50s uh, and throughout till the end of her life, she was working to uh, train and share this model of family therapy. And eventually her model of therapy became uh, a model of uh, what it means to become fully human. So she eventually transcended family therapy and started to work with larger and larger systems to help them with growth and change. Her work, uh, her model of therapy has impacted the field of psychotherapy and other fields to this day, uh, you know, engineering, computer science and, and other things. Her work emphasizes a consciousness of how we use ourselves, the use of self in therapy, the incorporation of the body in the process of therapy. For example, she would have people standing up and doing sculpts with their bodies to enact the family dynamic. 
She would emphasize the need for people to orient their bodies, their eyes, their ears, and even touch uh, while communicating. She created dynamic and effective processes of transform transformational change, such as the parts party, which is uh, similar to internal family systems and family reconstructions, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about in this conversation. Virginia Satir was a giant and is a giant in the family therapy field and couples th therapy. And learning about her work has formed the foundation of how I approach life uh, just as a human being personally and also in my uh, various professional roles as a therapist and, and in the things I like to, to write about. If you're interested in learning more, I recommend visiting satirglobal.org and uh, starting with some of Virginia Satir's books like The New People Making um, or Making Contact or Conjoint Family Therapy. In this discussion, the three of us explore the word context. We look at what it is, why it's important, how we can influence and even create context. We talk about the importance of, uh, we talk and debate about the importance or not of physical context. And um, at a certain point, we move away from the strictly theoretical discussion of context towards a more direct and present experience of context. Uh, throughout, we are attempting to foreground context uh, in a way where it's typically falls to the background and, and unnoticed. I found this to be a very lively discussion, uh, particularly between John Banman and myself, where we have certain disagreements. I could feel myself becoming uncomfortable in the space between us with the tension and, and with the disagreement, but I think it's a good example of how people can disagree and still be connected with each other. Um, I found our larger context was one of holding a space of love, respect, and acceptance, and I think these are necessary to have uh, conversations where there is disagreement. Um, and rather than prioritizing being right, it's important to prioritize having a peaceful context uh, instead of getting locked into um, having the right way or the right idea. So I feel overall we, we've engaged in a dynamic dialogue um, and we'll have what you'll hear is a technical disagreement about the metaphor of the iceberg. The iceberg is a specific tool used in the Satir model. Uh, it's a tool for self-awareness uh, used to, to basically uh, elucidate that there are things going on. When you, when you look at a person and you think about an iceberg, most of what's going on with that person is you can't see. For example, you could see behavior, but somebody's feelings, perceptions, their story, their expectations, their beliefs, all those things that underlie the behavior are not uh, visible. So we can come to understand ourselves and each other by being curious about each other's icebergs. And the way that I like to think about this metaphor, which is a, a deviation from typically how it's taught, is uh, that the iceberg represents my experience at a moment in time, particularly when I feel stuck. So it's, it's a good self-awareness tool in terms of understanding uh, where I'm feeling maybe defensive or where I'm feeling stuck in my experience. And coming to an awareness and grounding myself in what's happening in my inner context, you know, what am I feeling? What are my feelings about the feelings? What's the story I'm telling myself? What shoulds do I have? What expectations am I living with right now? I like to use this metaphor and extend it to the idea of melting the iceberg. And the idea of melting the iceberg is to signify 
that when I can enter into a loving presence with myself or when I'm with someone else uh, and someone's holding a supportive space for me, then that which is rigid and frozen in terms of my experience can melt and change and start to move. So new choices become available in terms of how I might behave, I might be thinking, feeling, believing, and expecting. All these elements or all these forms of consciousness are movable when we get connected to our self. And um, you know, the, the metaphor of moving away from being frozen and stuck to, and to being healthy is one of wanting to, to be fluid and flowing like a river. I like to use the metaphor of ice melting to represent transformation. And in this discussion, you'll see that John uh, disagrees with this language. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a, I think we do feel and experience these things similarly, but uh, we get a bit stuck in terms of the use of the word melting. Later on in the discussion, John also highlights to me something that I wrote in my notes, my rough notes, mind you, about context. Uh, I write, I don't believe a physical context is necessary anymore. Um, I, I think I would correct that, and, and through our discussions, it's helped me think about it more precisely. And I would say, I'm, I don't believe a shared physical context is necessary anymore, given my experiences, and I think many of our experiences of using technology to connect, uh, to do the work of therapy, uh, or the necessity of, of connecting virtually for a variety of things. What I'm really surprised at, I think in the context of working as a therapist, is that I feel that I'm still able to meaningfully connect and support people and nurture a space where transformational change can occur. And I would not have thought that that was possible before the pandemic. I think in general, how much a physical context is necessary for connection is, is a mystery. I, I really don't know. I'm open to the idea that consci consciousness can exist within and outside the body. Uh, but ultimately, I don't. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, I think ultimately, uh, there is a. It's a. It's a question to be constantly asking. You know, and and what are the ways that we can interact with our physical context so that we can experience m more and more of a emotional, uh, uh, spiritual connection with one another. This is something that I think is worth uh, exploring more and more in our own body in our own context. There's a really nice moment where Sharon is looking and grounding herself in a room and she sees all the ways that her life has been transformed and affected and influenced because of her connection to Virginia Satir's work. Uh, much of those experiences occurred for Sharon after Virginia died. So I think the idea that ideas can live and transcend, you know, Virginia is not in her body and she's uh, affected my life. I, you know, I, I was born in 1981. I certainly never met her, but her influence uh, of her ideas and her work and being able to watch her videos, uh, her there's no physical context at all, and yet contact and influence and meaning uh, was made possible somehow. Uh, there's a there's a comical moment when John <laughs> John hammers home the error in my my absolute statement that the physical context isn't necessary anymore. Uh, and like I said, I would rephrase that and say maybe it's a shared physical context is not as necessary anymore. Uh, I believe that technology can help us connect in meaningful ways, um, and, but there's always going to be an important human element of uh, what what does it mean to be human and how important is the physical body? And you know, physical 
embodiment and movement are very important parts of, of my work and certainly a part, very important part of what I appreciate in the way that Virginia Satir worked. So I think the larger point that, that we were making and, and sharing together is that we can still share helpful, positive, compassionate, and real human energy across the physical plane thanks to the technologies that we have, and, and thank goodness for that. So I, I considered editing out the, the debate and the, that we had about the iceberg and about the word melt, melting, but I feel it's a good example of process and engaging with each other and engaging in a context of mutual respect and genuine curiosity of trying to understand each other's uh, ideas and perspectives that hopefully what we're aiming to do is have a meaningful impact with each other and to evolve our own ways of thinking about these things so that we can have a greater impact and, and helpful impact with other people that we work with. I think ultimately, uh, at least I come to the conclusion that there's a lot left to learn about context and we've likely only scratched the surface of how to think about and to interact and ultimately participate in the creation of context. So I, I really valued this conversation and I learned a lot from it uh, being with Sharon and John and I hope you enjoy this conversation about context. So, so today we're going to talk about context and maybe we could just start by um, just with your own definition of, of context. Uh, we've, we've had our own personal conversations about this, but what, how would you even begin to try to define or describe context? Uh, I have something that I'm going to share but uh, I'm still working on my definition. I think I've shared my notes with both of you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what your first first thoughts are about it. John? Well, <laughs> I became uh, aware of context from, from Virginia Satir because she would very often start with self, other, and context. And so to me, the word context has been with me for a long time. And, mm. and so uh, if I were to uh, look at it right now, it seems like context is, could be our environment. It could be um, the circumstances in which things are happening, uh, yeah, things all around us. Uh, space time it has a me it has the the uh, foundation in which things are happening so in a sense it, i would say everything happens in context and so for me the big issue then is how do i manage it do i let the context the external world uh control me or do i manage it or even do I better create it so I can create and so I feel at this moment that I have some capacity to create my own context in which I live mm. in context then I can have my relationship with others and in the context I can have a relationship with myself that would be my simple answer hey wow um <clears throat> and I think um, 
it sort of leads to to all kinds of things. I think one of the things that you're describing is this idea of creating context. And I want to get into that more sort of like through our discussion. But um, Sharon, do you want to go next and, and share some of your ideas of or your experience, either through your own experience or your own learnings through uh, with Virginia Satir's work and herself uh, directly, what you've come to understand about context and what it means? Um, originally, as, as John mentioned first, I was thinking of it as environment. But over time, I've really come to also think about it as the phases of life uh, uh, and one's own individual development and those around you. Um, you know, the context of being a parent of a toddler is very different than the context of being the parent of a uh, somebody who's launching and you know all those contexts I think and, and also the context of your own uh, process but something came to my mind as John was talking which is very concrete example of the part of us that can be involved in creating our whole context and that is a story of um, one of my friends was a nurse in a, a nursing home in uh, Canada and um, one of their patients was a very famous fashion designer. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she was a very positive, creative person. And she said to the staff one morning, I think today is the day that I'm going to leave this life and this earth. And I would like to celebrate my life with you all. And so um, I would like for you to get a bottle of champagne and all the staff that I have loved and then come to love me here, gather in my room and we are going to toast to each other. Uh, and she had all kinds of tubes running through her and my friend said, well, we all toasted and the champagne went in and came right out the tubes. And then the woman closed her eyes, was, looked very peaceful. And then she opened her eyes and said, it's not, it's, it's not bad goodbye and she died and it has always stuck struck with me of how you know even in the end she created her own context and from the reading I've done of Laura Dotson talking about conscious dying with Virginia it sounds to me like some of that's fairly similar to the way she chose to um, deal with the end of her life and I, I don't know John if that's right but that's kind of what I've read yeah, it, it makes me think about Virginia's uh, emphasis on becoming choice makers and to, to build on what John was saying that what are we making choices about? And it's choices about our relationship to everything. One, one of the things I've been reflecting on is how big of a word context is. Once I started to reflect and meditate on it, it seemed that context could swallow up pretty much everything. There didn't seem to be a limit to, to how far it went. You know, in this discussion with you both, I want to, to um, not just talk about context, but also consider it as it relates to our experience here and now, because there's a, there's a context in which we're physically in different environments. There's the context of this particular technology that we're using to have this conversation. There's also the context of our, our each of the dyadic relationships here 
like I have a relationship with each of you and you have a relationship, you know, separately. So I think there's at least six different relationships to account for. And each of those relationships are a context with its own historical background. Um, so in talking about context, like why, why is this even important at all? And what are some of the, the challenges that we have with context? Um, so yeah, what, I guess that would be an, another thing to explore. I'll, I'll share with you some thoughts that I have um, and then we can sort of build on this and I'll just read it. This is part of like some writing that I'm doing uh, for this book on self-connection, but it starts with every person is embedded in a context. The context is the past, the ever-changing present and the upcoming and imagined future. The context is your family growing up, your family now, your school, your friends, your community, your city, the culture, the country, the climate, your history, historical events, the pandemic, the climate, political climate, Everything is part of context and everything touches you and you touch everything. There are no hard lines that divide the subjective you internal context from the external context. We could be passive recipients of context or creators of context. We can be taken to and from by the motion of the context, or we can build a contextual ship and direct our sail. Mastery in the art of living must include the full participation and utilization of context. So I, I think it's very important. I, but I don't, I can't say that I put my finger at it. And maybe that's sort of like a, a never ending thing. Does that bring up anything for you uh, or make you think of something to your own experience or to your own work um, that, that we can add to what we're exploring here? See, to me, that was, I like what you said. Um, my um, sense that what highlighted a little bit more is what I think uh, Sharon also mentioned, and that's time. Time. There's mm -hmm. a time component of what happened to me uh, years ago in the context had some kind of impact, and it's still with me. So even mm -hmm. though I'm living in this place and this this time and this uh, this situation. There seems to be a, a um, continuity from the past that context has. That seems comes yeah. across for me. You're yeah. talking about put it in time. I, I think I mentioned it, but I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it as well as you meant it. That we are in time. Yeah. Well, it makes it makes me think about the the large emphasis uh, in in the field of psychotherapy on trauma. You know, the idea that there are, there are things that occur in time that have such an impact. Um, and I think there can be, in one sense, a negative evaluation of trauma. I don't know if anyone gets through life without experiencing a trauma or multiple traumas. And the way I think about trauma specifically or impact is that those events in time become something that we we move away from and we cycle back to and that we grow with in our relationship to it and through our our learning whether that's learning how to to cope with it so again it, it's like i don't know how that fits with the idea of context creation but i wonder if i don't know if you could comment on that like sort of building into john you used the word the language of impact right an impact that is significant in time and this idea of you know what what people might have experienced as traumas that 
undergo a, a lot of healing and a lot of growth. Um, and in your in your work with people, in your experience with people, in your own learning, um, I wonder how we could weave in this idea of context and it and the use of that um, as part of the process of healing and growth. No, but okay. I see a client and I prepare myself, say, we, we say that a lot and Sharon probably has said that in a more specific way, how to prepare myself. When I prepare myself, I, I try to go into centering myself, becoming my, we can use satire terms, we say, I become more congruent. So when I see my client, I have created a, a context where there's acceptance, caring, uh, tension, energy. And so we need to look at his context. I can create a different context by changing the energy that I, I experience or I bring to somebody else. So, mm -hmm. so to, I create a different energetic context for my client. And so the higher I am uh, evolved, if I can use that word, the, the higher vibration I bring to my, my context and, uh, and the more positive, my belief, of course, my belief is the more energetic, positive energy I can bring to a session, the healthier it is. And maybe the more the client or whoever can grow. So mm -hmm. context and energy somehow need to be looked at in some kind of relationship. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And it, it makes me think about, I never had the fortune of meeting Virginia Satir, but both of you have. And uh, the language that I would use and what I'm curious about is her presence seemed to be such that it was context creating. And there was a sort of a, an, an environment that you felt held within there's a kind of this holding space, this context that allowed for growth, that was a very powerful vessel for growth. So I wonder if, if both of you could comment on that, um, sort of extending, John, your idea of that preparation that a, that a therapist goes through to be able to hold space and to, to move through process of healing and your, your specific experiences with Virginia that were like that. Well, I, I like to be first for this one. Sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, totally. I, I do, I do uh, this might be unfair, but the, I do a comparison between Virginia Satir and Carl Rogers, okay? I've met both of them. I've met both of them at the same time. So just to give you the context, I've spent time with them and me together, and I've spent time with Carl Rogers, and of course, spent a lot of time with Virginia. So, so to me, I want to do a comparison and it's not to be critical. When I meet Carl Rogers, I feel I'm in awe, kind of in awe with me. It's a really, to me, he was just a energy, energy and I can feel, feel I'm in awe of him and I appreciate being there with him. When I'm with Virginia, I feel the awe. I feel validated. I feel me. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means she has, she creates a positive energy that includes the other. So that 
I feel validated is probably a good word, but I feel included, uh, acknowledged. Um, so if I'm open to it, when I'm open to, to that, I can experience the energy that she brings to the context in such a way that I have my self-esteem goes up. Could you elaborate on, and maybe you've had in your conversations with her, what, what energy she was focusing on? Uh, and if she made that explicit in terms of, you know, I, I know one of the things that she talked about is that when she was with someone and she was really going to be present with them, that that's, that's all she would be doing. Um, I wonder if there's other things that you could speak to on that, because I think that is really important. Well, I think when I look at it in back now, I don't know if we talked about it, but I think she felt she was connected with the universe or with God, if you like it in modern terms, uh, Christian terms, that she would manifest the divine in her and, um, and uh, see me as a part of the divine and therefore try to connect at that level. Mm. Okay. All right. So that, that transports us to a, a, a much deeper and wider context, which is like a, the spiritual context, which then now starts to transcend form. And so I, Sharon, do you want to share like your own experience of, you know, if, if what, one of the things that Virginia did that was so powerful was her ability to form and to shape and to influence context uh what was your experience with her on on that well my experience is very different than john's because i was just a part of the 90 people in a, a community pro process community so it wasn't the, the kind of personal uh connection that john had what comes to my mind is that the context that she would create first of all, in the training through the meditation. So right away, she was bringing us into a deeper connection with ourselves and then uh, do some kind of presentation and then immediately start asking for feedback. And when she, when somebody would raise their hand, she would say, come on up. So there was this sense of welcoming. And then almost always there would be touch so that she would, and she would be, really, really tracking and intense with her mind, but also creating an energy space, I think, just like John mm -hmm. said, around her of that person feeling her awe toward them, and therefore they would feel more of their yeah. miraclehood, as she would say. Um, but I think there's a separate piece to this, which John brought up with the energy, which is the opposite, which is that like poles like either way, you know, so if you have a defensive person reacting, there's a pull toward that defensiveness. And what Virginia did was just the opposite. She was pulling toward your spirit self place, I think, in herself and in the other person. Um, and I was thinking about with someone who uh, I've had a lot of experience with dissociative identity disorder issues for people where the parts don't know each other. And the, the uh, context really of the self beginning to 
connect with and and heal the parts and it's that self energy that spirit energy that that creates that healing and that um mm. integration yeah and i think this is so important I, I think one of the reasons one of the things i wish there was more of an emphasis on is i think family systems was the first uh model of therapy that started to look at the larger context the spaces between people the larger obviously system of the family but then looking at things like cultural and family rules uh the 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 the, the space between and when when we're talking about um sort of transcending and moving away i think a lot of therapeutic models focus on a particular technique without necessarily looking at the larger context. And I think in not looking at the space between people or the spaces between forms of consciousness. And what I, what I mean by forms of consciousness are feelings, thoughts, beliefs, expectation. These are different manifestations of consciousness. When I look at EFT, obviously the emphasis there is on emotions. But context, like I, I think that someone could probably create a therapy called context therapy, and maybe that already exists because there's hundreds of different types. But I think that's a very important lens, which is what is the, the larger surrounding space or energy that contextualizes that particular experience of fear, of anger. Uh, and I think that's what uh, what we're attempting to do in therapy. But by making something that seemingly falls to the background context and and what i'm interested in doing is bringing it more to the foreground so we can look at it and be more intentional about the way that we use it because there is you know you're, you're talking about the way virginia used her own individual energy her own individual consciousness to create context mm -hmm. whereas I, I similar to what you you were both describing i used to think of the the environment as just the environment as context and it was just a very passive thing that you know what are the colors of the room? What's the temperature of the room? How big is it? And seemingly, it, seem, it easily expands to so, being so much more than that. How do we make, so I guess the question is, how do we make context more meaningfully explicit? Like how, how can we start to think about these things? And given how slippery and how transcended context can be, how can we start to bridge these things? And so, so one thought that I had is, uh, in quantum physics, there's this discussion about the difference between waves and particles. So, John, we, we've talked about this before. Um, and for our purposes, there's a difference between what you would describe as the essence of something, right? Or the being state versus particles or form, right? I'd say I'm, I have a body um, and it, it feels pretty solid. But when you get down to the microscopic level this body's undergoing changes constantly it's a process that's unfolding but the visual when when i take both of you in i don't necessarily see that process occurring so if i take those two words wave and particle or process maybe being more associated to the wave-like function that things are unfolding to outcome or product or particle i think you could fit context in there i think context is something like the wave pattern it's it's more to do with the intangible it's it's something that's moving and the content you know the story the particular emotion forms the content which is related to the context so i think there's there's something about when we can get preoccupied 
with the form of something, like the form of my particular way of thinking, my particular expectation, my particular behavior, and want to change that. But there's a great danger when we don't account for the larger context, the thing that is moving. And, and this, is, this points to the importance of having a systemic lens. So, um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what you think of that and if that adds anything in terms of the way that you work or if that clarifies, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I saw mm -hmm. that, I, I see that in the process that I undergo. And are there ways that we can sort of push our thinking about context to make what's implicit more explicit in the way that we relate to each other or the way that we relate to people that we're helping or something like that. Well, I'd like to go back and start a little further back than at the beginning in this and say, okay, now I think we need to look at the definition of context. What is the definition? Because <clears throat> the way I hear you talk, um, we need a new def definition of context first, and mm -hmm. then talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, the one if and if we're starting of it, and I suppose you worked on it for quite a while, you might already have done this. Is we you we do you bring process into context? Is process in part of the context? See, to me, um, the way you talk about it, that means some people, some people take context as a, as a, a, a given, a given, it's a mm -hmm. it's static state. The word is static. Mm -hmm. It's a static kind of thing. It, it's had different forms, you know, it's beautiful context or it's smelly or it's whatever, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a given uh, at the moment, instead of what I hear you say, maybe it is a process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then if I know what I'm saying is, if it's a process, then I can manage it. Then I can create it. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's just a, a it's given, then I can change it. I can go from one to the other or to the other, but it's always a given kind of thing. And maybe it's not a given. It's I like something that. that I can change. And therefore mm -hmm. I create a new context mm. now or if, if so so i can create a new context within this house right now if i said so i'm going to make this more joyful more more uh, fun thing uh, i'm going to create a new kind of context but i use process in order to do that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how does process and context fit together in your in your model well i think i can i can build on what you're saying about i can change the context of my house because i think if you um if if your if your home was let's say messy or disorganized and you started moving boxes around or moving furniture around uh people would experience that as a shift in energy right that would but when when things pile up for example let's say in the house uh, where someone you know, has the symptom of hoarding and, and it's just everything's piled up there's a stuckness of energy there's a stuckness in the process that you can physically see you can experience emotionally you know there's there's thoughts associated with it uh and, and all kinds of things so i think 
if we, I think we can get stuck in thinking about our inner context and within, within the, the use of the iceberg metaphor, I would think of that, you could describe that as internal context. And it's very useful to expand the, the, the perception of someone's behavior. Okay, so someone's, you know, a kid is acting out and yelling and throwing chairs in the class. You try to contextualize that behavior by going through the iceberg and you're looking at their feelings, their feelings about feelings, their expectations, you know, their perceptions, their yearnings, their sense of self-esteem. And then, but then you, you zoom out from that, that individual's context and you look at what's going on in the home. What's going on in their cultural identification? Right? You spend it, you're contextualizing that behavior such that, well, maybe the energy can shift from blame to understanding and compassion. And then that starts to enter into what I think you were talking about in the way that you try to begin with clients. You try to begin with a particular kind of energy. But in that, I think if, if I'm thinking about contextualizing as a verb, I'm awakening my mind and my awareness to everything I can surround myself so that I can better be with that person in the sense that I think part of the divinity of an individual is the knowing and the belief that they're moving, they're in process. And I want to avoid any kind of conclusion about who they are. And so I think, I think that's right. I think context, you rather than thinking of context is a fixed thing, a static thing to make it a, to perceive the process of it, I think can really help us. So mm -hmm. as a, uh, you know, thinking about it as a therapist and process, I, I'm thinking about what is the energy, my energy, and does it get triggered? And do I need to consciously shift myself back into the center so for me that part is it it is being conscious of the context and constantly trying to monitor you know has something gotten triggered in me i need to step back and come back in emotionally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and i think what you just described is a departure from what might be static to to transcending that coming back to the center so that you can make your your awareness come alive again, right? So if you if you're reacting, if there's like a, a reaction to a, a client, it's it's like I hate this. I, I'm really judging. I, don't, I really don't like this person. Then that might freeze you up in that moment. But taking that step back is yeah, re-entering into that process. And you know, and what starts to get tricky is maybe the the context is the way that we are relating, or the way that we're using awareness. And so that, that those kind of concepts start to become part of what we're thinking about. That awareness seems maybe the awareness, maybe the explicit direction, the direct use of our consciousness so that we can move from context being a fixed thing to context being an alive thing, something that's actually moving. Um, so... I, I wouldn't mind doing a little experiment with us, like sort of tuning into our internal context right now, and then also thinking and feeling through what the context feels like between us. Now, given that this is virtual, there it's a it's a more difficult thing to feel 
the relationship between us because we're not in the same room. So I'm wondering if we could could do that just by way of an exercise of actually taking a moment to what's going on inside of the, us, the, the, the process, the inner context that's living within us, and then what we feel, you know, through the space between us, wherever we are geographically. John, you're in, in, in Vancouver, BC. Sharon, you're in California. Um, and I'm in Toronto, Canada. We're all in very, uh, very distant places. Um, so, yeah, what, what do you notice that's, that's coming up for you as far as what we're talking about and, and what your inner and outer context is like? Um, See, I'm still trying to get used to the whole idea of this kind of content, content connection that we are here so far apart and yet we're physically visible to each other. Uh, that to me is still a, a kind of a new thing. Uh, so <clears throat> to me, this is a good example of looking at context because I'm here in this, this place and you're there in your places. And yet we have a connection <clears throat> at the verbal and audio level uh, that uh, makes the connection possible. So I'm still uh, in wonderment about the ability of using the technology that makes this possible. Mm -hmm. so. <clears throat> so there's a sense of what there's a sense of wonderment that's part of the energy. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. You're yeah. in Toronto, and I'm talking to you right now. You know, I can see you. I can, I can, uh, I can have body body visualization like you're you just smiled i can see you smile i mean that's mm -hmm. just okay but you're three thousand miles away from here yeah. uh, so so to me it's a context that is uh at one way strange <clears throat> and at another way appealing and so i'm still at a very elementary level of experiencing these um these situations that we're in right now hmm yeah when i when i was just hearing you share that i'm i'm much more used to the technology being a few years into this pandemic and working constantly virtually and i had the uh, a less positive experience i felt like it'd be nice to be able to be in the same room as you john and to like give you a hug or to be able to see you or to be able to hear hear you without the mediation of the audio. So like, I feel like a, a yearning, like a missing, there's a missing there. So that's that's a, what I'm noticing, just listening to you and, and sort of trying to tune into my own inner context. That's what I feel just listening to you now. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm moving it from being on telephone with you to being in this way. So for me, to me, it's a very- <laughs> it's, it's, it's evolving, it's better. <laughs> It's an <laughs> yeah. good. Um, Sharon, how, what's your inner context like? Well, it's interesting for me. Um, first of all, seeing the the triangle of the three uh, squares, uh, there's something that feels very balanced about that. Um, but also, I guess um, the sense of uh, the context of feeling as though. The two of you have um, brilliant intellects, and I'm in awe of that. And it's like um, 
I don't know if I belong in this context. This, you know, so it's a it's a fascinating thing for me. Mm. Yeah. When you said the word with the word belong touched something within me, which is like, and and I think our energy, use that word a lot today, our energy is the way that we make contact. And the, the really interesting thing, and, and I and I imagine you you both have experienced this and know this from your own experience, that you can feel energy with people, even though you may not be in the same room as them. And so what I what I felt is like you know, this sense of the word belonging is, is very much an attachment word, right? Like you belong. And, and the, the heart feeling I have when you said that is, of course you belong here, right? Like that's, you know, maybe you're, you're holding a space for the heart level of this conversation that we need. And they were perhaps the, the feminine energy of that and, and so much more, the, the wisdom, the experience that you bring. So, um, I say that not because I feel like at all that that I don't trust that you you can take care of and you can be grounded within yourself, but just to um, I think my interest is is for us to be in this kind of balanced context where and I think what Virginia wished for everyone is to be on their feet and to be grounded within themselves when they connect. Mm -hmm. um, so so I feel that and I feel free. I think the context that I'm feeling is I feel very free to share my own experience with you both as it's occurring so that, that's kind of what i'm noticing right now and wanting to shift out of maybe the more theoretical for a moment to get into more of the experiential with you both and it, i guess I'm, i want to invite you to do the same to kind of just slow down and just see what's going on in in your body in your inner context as we're talking about context and what thoughts and feelings and sensations come up. When you first started saying this two little experiment, I was saying, okay, I will try to get more in touch with my physical context that's right here. And I landed myself out to the backyard uh, where, you know, spring is coming and flowers are maybe blooming someday and so forth. So it was a greater awareness of my physical context within bringing that into my awareness while I was connecting with you two. So I seemed like I was broadening my physical present environment and say, okay, if I, if I want to bring myself into connection with you two, then I have more awareness of where I am in my situation, in mm. my circumstance. Very neat, very neat uh, mm. feeling of inclusiveness of what there is that I want to have with me when I was connecting with you. Interesting. So more more awareness and more grounding in your physical environment. Yeah. It, it sort of empowered you or allowed you to extend your energy in the relational space be between us. Mm -hmm. Getting that, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I have the opposite experience i think where i'm i'm feeling pretty disconnected to my my physical self and my physical environment and and, and feel much more sort of tuned into maybe the emotions the, the feeling of whatever i'm feeling 
as I'm hearing you both talk differently, like I, I sense that being very different right now. Between us or different from what John was talking about, the external? Different. It seemed like it seemed like tuning into the physical environment helped presence you, John. That's what I'm hearing. Helped you bring more energy to, to the relationships and the connection between us. Whereas I felt myself almost like forget about like anything. I mean, there's a lot going on around me. It's like a very uh, distracting kind of environment with with monitors and books and, <laughs> and everything. It wouldn't be good for me. I, I don't think I don't have the same kind of. I imagine John, you looking out the window and seeing trees and and like the beautiful BC uh, environment. Whereas I'm like in my basement office, surrounded by mm -hmm. line, hard lines and books things. Yeah. Hmm. Well, when you look at, I mean, let's see if I can, if we can amplify, amplify this a little bit. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Now, so I'm going to show you where I'm sitting, or what I'm seeing. Okay. Mm -hmm. where I'm sitting, so you can probably, okay. That helps. Yeah. Okay. Your hands covering, <laughs> your hands oh. covering the, the. Oh, wow. Okay. Can you see the, okay, so. Yeah, tilt it up, tilt it up a bit. Yeah, okay. So there's a lot of green. There's like many, okay. many huge looking trees. Okay. So that's, that would be, that's my environment. So ah. that's pretty positive for me. Mm -hmm. And it, it uh, it's inclusive. It's not distracting, it's inclusive. So I yes. feel more you know we're overusing the, the word probably but i feel more grounded within the context when we're talking about context mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well i i feel more grounded just looking at that through the monitor <laughs> to be able to see nature and to to be connected to life i think that is a sense of wonder and oneness you were talking about when you were describing Virginia. Whereas if I looked at my environment, I would see like a computer monitor and lights and my microphone. It, it would completely take me out of um, a more a more movable energy, a more moving kind of living energy. So for me, my office is um, a sanctuary in a way because. Um, it's the only time in my life I've spent a significant amount of money to hire somebody to come in and design my office in terms of the way I hold the books. And I realized that when I do a deep meditation, I almost always end up in this imaginary library with all these beautiful, beautiful books on the wall and the sun coming through. And I'm sitting warm, reading in the, you know, so I, I love having my books accessible and then if i look i see um all the wonderful things that have happened because of my involvement with virginia satir uh, one is a picture that somebody janet christie seeley painted for me of crested butte with air balloons and that was a huge step for me to be able to take the risk to ride an air balloon my husband said he still can't believe i did it because <laughs> i have a fear of, of heights 
and then I have a, a picture of Prague where I was able to go because of Satir. Mm. Of pictures of Virginia, of pictures of Bangkok, being in Bangkok with all the Laura and all the other um, people that were part of that training. So it and it's just uh, oh, on the up here I have all the flags. Margarita Suarez bought flags to represent the countries that are part of our network. So I keep all those those flags up there. So I'm just, mm. and I have a gift of a resource wheel that I created. And when I went to Hong Kong, they did it for me in English and in Chinese. So I just feel surrounded by mm. <laughs> the influence of Virginia's work on my life. And for it to be in, in you so much in your context. Yeah. yeah. You created a great context. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you know, not even really consciously. I mean, it was just, yeah. you know, bringing things that were meaningful to me together. Yeah, well, I think it brings me back to our, our earlier discussion about how context is living. It's a process. It's unfolding, mm -hmm. and it it's. I think if we if we could monitor or observe the ways in which it's moving or feeling stuck. It becomes a useful way of maybe checking in like what's happening what's happening in my context you know if i notice there's this thing on my desk that i don't actually want it to be there and why is it still there and why is it taking up space that's something physical but we have things like that psychologically too like emotions that get stuck um yeah i'm feeling like i have a lot of work to do to catch up to the beautiful context that you both have <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely a work in progress. So, well, um, I have created a lot of anxiety for my context when I look over here. Look at all the <laughs> papers and organized and dealt with. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> there's a certain there's a certain angle at which the the way that my camera is pointed. I'm like if I if I pointed a little bit further down, there you would see the chaos of things. So, yeah, let's start to come through. Um, I wanted to read a quote by Virginia to, to maybe, maybe this will inspire us a bit. So at a workshop uh, she gave in 1971, she says, everything we say is related to something. And in a strict technical sense, everything you say says something about yourself, says something about the other, and says something about the context where you are. It always has these three things in it somewhere. Um, so that's Virginia Satir. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I think that that sort of brings us to to where we where we've been going. And does that bring anything up for you? Or no, no, that to me meets. That's how I have heard her before. Like that's how I see her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the nice quote. Mm -hmm. mm. When I think about meaning making, um, I. I think one thought I had is that the context form, forms the ground from which meaning emerges. And, and so we always need that, that context. And one of the processes that Virginia created was family reconstruction. And I, based on the way that I've been thinking about it, and, and I think our discussion is helping me sort of be more curious about this is, such extensive processes of, of family reconstruction, I would think of as like contextualizing things. 
It's like an individual who did who never really thought about their family or never thought about their grandparents or never thought about the way that courtship went or thought about the the cultural context or the wars that were occurring. When Virginia would take people through this process of looking at the the timeline, the chronology of how things happened and the relationships that existed, it seems that looking at that and unearthing the relationships and the real human emotions of the context of how it was occurring for people then makes it come to life in a way that it's a real living context. When you observe Virginia maybe doing this kind of work, for example, maybe you could focus on family reconstruction. Can you speak to that and her use of context in that very expansive way with role players, with um, the, the sort of background looking into chronologies and um, the family of origin work? there's so much to say what rings a bell to me is that she seems see I'm, I'm more interested in the energy that she would create by just simply doing a little sculpt here and a little sculpt there and a little whatever uh role player bring involved in it was like uh, when i look at it uh we, we we weren't always, I think, well, I wasn't anyway, I wasn't aware that there were so many different layers of what was going on, that she had a much deeper level of energy that I call it energy level of processing energy level than the um, situation. So say for instance, you sculpt a father or a grandfather and you would, have it into a kind of context, then you might have a little story, and then you might have a, a, uh, a meaning of the story, some impact kind of a story, and that would seem like a, a lot already, but then there was a deeper level of something that was going on that she was working on. So it was almost like I'm working mm -hmm. at energy level of changing some energy shifts at a level so all these other things get to be in harmony and what I feel is that there was very often we got so caught up with the story with the sculpting with the uh, with the release of or the transformational uh, perception expectation that we weren't really that aware of that she was working at changing energy <clears throat> and so now if I remember all that and then I want to have that put into your topic here context then I need a little time to say okay how do I need to shift my 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 picture of how I'm trying to understand that energy level into context does it help me does it change it does it make any make any contribution? So that's what I'm working on at mm -hmm. this moment. Yeah, what what you're describing is like I think the the first the first temptation I think I would have and I have had to just watching Virginia's work on tape is to try to understand things at a technical level. Um, why is she phrasing things the way that she's phrasing? You know what are the elements of the iceberg of what she's working? Is she working with behavior? 
Is she working with thoughts? Is she working with beliefs? Is she working with family rules? But when you, when you talk about en the energy level, that's a more vague and transcendent thing that I think is, is most sort of accurately described as like a spiritual realm. And I know that's something you, you both have been thinking about and writing about and, and considering how important the spiritual dimension of, of her work is. Um, and, you know, the, one of the ways that I've been thinking about the iceberg metaphor and one of the transformations I, I'd like to contribute in our understanding about the iceberg is it's a way of, of contextualizing a person's individual experience, but it's also something to transcend, that we shouldn't stop there. And that a particular experience described as an iceberg, the, the fact is that experiences change, impacts can change. And by transcending and expanding into the larger context, we can actually melt that iceberg and, and take that form into something else, something different. But that requires a, a larger frame, a reference to a larger context than the particular experience that a person's maybe stuck with um so i think the thing that transcends the particular experience is something like a deep spiritual yearning the energy of um the, the desire for love and connection or something like that and i think that that's the level you know to the experience of being really perceived the, the experience of really being valued you know john what you were describing in terms of the difference between carl rogers and virginia satir and it's interesting because it, it seems like in every interaction when she was just meeting someone or doing something as a, complex as a family reconstruction, the same depth or the connection to that depth was there. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. See, I want to see, I totally disagree with your picture of the iceberg. <laughs> okay. Start. Sure. Yeah. If we want to get into a disagreement. Sure. See, I, I see the iceberg very different than that. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I'll give you a little example <clears throat> about the iceberg. The iceberg below the the bottom, and I won't name it for a while, is my experience. <clears throat> so I want to look at when I look at my iceberg, I don't want to say, "Who are you?" And you tell me your iceberg. Your iceberg is a model of how you experience yourself. And so we have these different layers of how I experience myself. I experience myself in my behavior and so forth, all the things. But at the bottom of the iceberg is not how I experience myself. That the bottom of the iceberg is who I am. I am. It's a very, very strategic that she called it the, the I am. You don't melt the I am unless you have maybe enlightenment or you enjoying the foot. So you never melt the I am because then you, you're nothing. So the I am is God in you. And so how would you melt God in you? So I disagree with that kind mm -hmm. of concept. It just doesn't make sense at all, in fact. So I want to know, I want to, I want to move my experience into the self so that I can be more self, more I am, that I manifest life energy, God energy, spiritual energy, divine energy, that I can become me. So you don't ask a question, who are you? 
you ask a question, how you experience yourself. And how, the way I experience myself that I, I can identify is through various aspects, levels, feelings, thoughts, and so forth. That's how I experience myself. And what we do very often is we identify my experience with who I am. And what we want to do is we want to look at, this is my experience. This is not who I am. This is how I experience myself. I experience myself in anger, loneliness, hate, joy, fun, whatever. But I experience myself. So now I want to connect with that self. And now I want to be in charge first of my experience. And then I want to manage it. So I want now create my own experience but I'm in myself doing it. I am in myself. I am manifesting. Mm -hmm. That's a version of how I understand the iceberg. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I disagree with, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I think self, self is this, is this dimension of, of being um, that, that is separate from, but yet connected to the experience that I create. And I think the language that I use for that, and we're kind of moving off from the discussion about context, but maybe it's all related, is the difference between the concept of self-esteem, which is my experience, how I experience myself, the feelings I have, the thoughts I have about myself, which is a projection, is not, is not the self, right? Um, and I think I, I, I use the metaphor differently than I think how it was created in, in, in the way that you've, you've taught it. And, and I, I use the language of melting to signify that when something's frozen, it's stuck, it's rigid, it's, it's in a particular form. And when ice melts, it becomes liquid, it becomes movable, it becomes water, it becomes living. And to the extent that, for example, our bodies are frozen, or rigid or in pain then our energy isn't moving so we we making the analogy we want to be able to move and be fluid and to move our parts or to relate to our parts and that a healthy cell is one where its parts are moving where there's rigidity and frigidity uh, there's death so the movement from that that form of the iceberg, the movement of context is the difference between context being a noun to contextualizing. And how do we, how do we get movement to occur? How do we get life, the, the, the spirit of life to kind of move through us, right? Um, and I think it's in the kind of thing we're doing right now, which is dialogue. It's, you know, the sharing of, of experience and, and of disagreeing and, you know, keeping that energy moving and not being dogmatic and saying well, i have the one right way or i have <laughs> so sharon where, where are you in this well, moment flashing on working with couples and um, thinking about you know whatever they're disagreeing on and there's this conflict going on and then if one of them you can help begin to feel the other person at that heart level you can just watch the transformation and all of a sudden they're reconnected with each other 
and then I might say, so what about that issue you were talking about? Oh, that's not, we'll, we'll deal with that. You've watched the, the self, the I am come in, the, part, the defensive parts are no longer in, in charge, right? And now the self, there's a connection at that other level. And um, the, it's fluid, right? Now they're flexible. Um, so I think of it, whether it's the family reconstruction where Virginia is using her self spirit to influence, I would see bringing forth the self spirit of the persons in the, you know, the, the star in that case. Mm -hmm. That it's, that un maybe even unconsciously, that's what Virginia was doing all the time, was pulling to that place, which has a very different perspective and can let go of those other parts of the experience mm. through compassion, through curiosity. Um, and that once that shift has been made, you know, um, the beautiful film in of her working at Forgiving Parents that NLP produced, you know, they did a marvelous yeah. thing of following up three years later with that woman who had been so rigid at one point, right before lunch, Virginia said, now I'm aware of your stubbornness, that, and that's okay. You may want to stay right with it. That's all your mother's fault, and that she didn't love you, you know, but we'll continue to work and see what happens. And then when that transformation came, it stayed. There wasn't any kind of cognitive, now I know my mother, you know, it's just this shift. And three years later, how are you doing? And the woman said, oh, I have a great relationship with my mom. When we travel, I always ask her to, when I have these jobs, I ask her to go with me and we chat and life is very different. Mm. It was not cognitive. It was not behavioral. It was in my mind, a shift into the self. Mm. Well, I, I, I'd, I'd like to, respectfully disagree with you on that and i'd have to like watch that tape again because there was so much language and so much process that happened in that i think and and i i i think we need to be careful not to say there was energy but there was no cognition one of the things and to to quote virginia directly one of the things she said when someone's when talked about this is like well we don't want to lose our heads like how good is a chicken with its head cut off how does it function like this is right. one of the jokes that she would make and and so I think thoughts and cognition form the context for energy to move. It's like the vehicle through which um, the transformation occurs. But I think her contact with energy enabled the trust to form so that the thoughts could move. But I'm, I'm pretty confident that that woman had a, had a release through maybe the grounding in her own energy and trusting of her own resources to say something like, well, I don't have to put that hat on my mom for her to mother me any, anymore. And I can, I know one of the things in that interview or what, out of that conversation that came was Virginia gave her specific language of which to energetically speak to her mom differently, which is, mom, I appreciate that you're seeing me, um, but what you're saying doesn't fit for me, right? Just, she, so that's the vehicle, which is in the form, that's necessarily a thought, a cognition, but it's through the energy of what? Love, acceptance, perceiving and trying to apprehend her mom's care of her. So I think it's just, there is an ongoing relationship between the form and the process and between energy 
and thought between wave and particle between context and content that that there's that if we can maintain that relationship between these things instead of uh favoring a particular domain and saying it's all about energy and i think if we if we do that we get into um uh, we lose the necessity of languaging some of these things and making explicit these processes because they're they're both there they're both there and um i see her under you know she attempted many many different ways with the different parts of Rolinda, you know to connect so in that sense i understand what you're saying in terms of the behavioral the cognitive but I, and I don't know how exactly how it happened, but it felt to me like once the transformation happened, it was no longer a kind of a clearly, oh, now I'm going to do this kind of behavior and I'm going to mm -hmm. think like this. Yeah, so yeah. Shifted at a deeper level. Yeah, right. It's, it wasn't just straight CBT. There was something powerful happening on a, on a connection level. Mm -hmm. So then how do you put the two together? You're saying, I'm going to melt all that so that goes into the nothingness or the everything. And yet you're now saying what we needed very badly. We can't get rid of the cognitive process. So I find it contradictory. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think. How do you, you the two different uh, directions? Well, it's. <clears throat> If you if you can if you can think about the image of Virginia's process of change, there's status quo, right? Then there's, there's the foreign element, and then there's chaos, um, and then there's a new status quo. So what what I would see in that is there's a there's a movement from a particular form, right? This is the, how I think about things. This is how I behave. This is what I believe, and then when that map no longer helps me adapt to reality. Then I go into chaos. Something happens where my usual map doesn't work, and that, just like, you know, the, the, the one example from nature is when a when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That butterfly, when it's in the cocoon, its entire form melts. It's actually heat that melts all the elements of a caterpillar, and it gets reconstituted. So there is this middle process by which the the way that I think. It melts with something. Maybe it melts with something like love. It melts with connection. It melts with trust. It melts with acceptance. And then as it goes through that process, then new thoughts emerge. And maybe the, the new thoughts or the new rules or the new trying something out, like this is a way of languaging my trust of myself with someone, that new form is, maybe you could say that's the new iceberg, right? It's a new form that emerges. That's so we don't right. want to what i'm going to say to you yeah it's, 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 you don't lose you don't lose form but there's movement between well so. when you melt it you lose form just quite quite simply right when you melt something you lose form I, you're taking the my use of the word melting literally like there's nothing you know psychologically that you melt but transformation is a movement from one form to another so in order for some, some if, if a form isn't working, that form needs to be let go of, right? Yeah, and that's called transformation. 
So one of the things about this uh, process of change that I have some difficulty with, and maybe this gets out of the context, when you look at those stages, the way that uh, Buckby talks about sometimes, and the way I hear Virginia meaning it, it's like, where is the transformational part in that circle? Where do you see the transformational part? Because we teach the change process, status quo, foreign element. Uh, chaos. Chaos. And then what? Then we talk about new, a new, uh, new perspective. Mm -hmm. And there's, to me, there's a transformational component that is very highlighted in terms of that. Is that? Do you feel that we need to do more about that transformational part? Um, Highlight that. That's what I, that's what you might want to call, I know I wouldn't want it to, but that's what you want to call it, melting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, no, I don't want it to melt. I want it to become a new, a new element. Mm -hmm. Well, when you make when you make a sword, when you make a sword out of ore, you need to you need to melt. You need to use heat, right? So you yeah. melt it so you can reshape it into something, um, you know. And I think psychologically, anyway, this is a this is a metaphor. And I think John, maybe you're getting mm, stuck on my use of the word melt because you you think of melt meaning something disappears, and one of the laws of thermodynamics is energy can neither be created nor destroyed. So I take that as a given. And so therefore melting is my word for transformation. It's not that it's, you know, when, when, when an ice melts, it doesn't disappear. It might turn it from ice to water to gas, but it's still there. So the human being development, going back to Sharon, an earlier point you made, a human being goes through a developmental process where the body changes. It's this size when it's born, this size when it's in adolescence, maybe it shrinks a bit when it's older. And then, then, then where does this, the essence go after it leaves the body? Um, it is a movement in that. And um, I would use, I would use like the language of the, the thing that I, that I always got stuck on with looking at the iceberg is, and the reason why I like the, the metaphor of melting is I had this client who was experiencing a deep depression. And then after a few years of him finally kind of leaving that, he said that his experience was that he felt frozen in himself. The depression felt like being frozen. And so when I applied that to the iceberg, it's like, yeah, part of how we can look at psychological health is what are the ways in which the iceberg, how am I behaving? How am I feeling? How am I perceiving? How am I expecting? In a way that freezes up my energy, keeps me stuck. So that's why I like to use the language of melting because it's moving, it's transforming. It's those elements and those resources become available, you know, using something like mm, Richard Schwartz's uh, internal family systems. It's like, there's a particular way of the way the parts are related to that is stuck. And by shifting and moving that and melting that particular form, it could become something else. So that, that metaphor helps me map onto Virginia's discussion of the process of change 
and accounts for transformation. It's a completely different form. It's a completely different thing altogether. So anyways, I hope that helps clarify what I mean by transformation and, and why melting is, is inappropriate. I'm thinking about Dan Siegel's definition of mental health is the flow, is the river. And that if you're stuck on one bank of, it might be rigidity, the other bank might be chaos, or you might flip between the two. He claims that all of the diagnostic, uh, what's the word? DSM. Categories mm -hmm. in the DSM can be put in one of those two banks. He says he went through all of them. And I'm, I'm so struck um, in the, the, uh, the word river, I'm seeing it more and more in the hymns that I sing or in poetry, that the river seems to be really symbolic of that flow, mm -hmm. that fluidity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the original lists that Virginia made about congruence, part of that was the free flow within and between. And now Dan Siegel uses that all the time in his interpersonal biology. It's the free flow within and between. Mm -hmm. yeah very nice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. okay so why don't why don't we start to yeah john did you want to say something like yeah i want to quote one i don't believe a physical context is essential it's necessary anymore anymore a I don't believe a physical context is necessary anymore. Could you tell me a little about that? I, I feel like you need to give more context to that. <laughs> I'm just reading, I'm reading your, your paper here. Oh, I said that? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were quoting. I thought you were quoting for Judas here. That's ridiculous. Uh, like, Okay. Yeah. So I said that. Um, yeah. Well, physical context is not necessary anymore. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, I was thinking, I was probably thinking the specific context of, um, of zoom of how we're able to connect. We're not sharing a physical context right mm -hmm. now at all. Um, and, um, and yet we're still connecting. I don't like, we need a physical context to, use the computer or use whatever device um but you know in, in my work with with people it's interesting that i don't really i haven't found um except maybe with really really young people i haven't found that i haven't been able to work as effectively online as in person which really surprised me and so that that brings up this point about energy yep. and how how important that is. Like I thought it would be a clear 30% less effect where there would be something really missing. Um, and like, even, even just to kind of bring up sort of my inner context, like, you know, John, as we were having our discussion and, and you and I were disagreeing about context, like I feel energetically all of the elements of like having a disagreement. Like I feel like energy kind of rising up. I feel like, you know, <clears throat> like tingling in my lower back, right? just as much as if I think we were talking together in person, like I would be just as um, tuned in and excited or nervous or whatever I, I'm feeling. Um, so 
So that's what I meant. I think about just the technologies is is really. But okay, so I took it. I took it at a deeper level, and and I said, even though I don't need context to relate to you right now, according to what I just heard, I need context all the time. As long as I live in this physical realm, I need context. That's which, cool. yeah, which, which is not which, just physical. Which is not just physical. It's but it's need physical, yeah. But it still need physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I need physical context all the time. As long as I live here, that's what I'm understanding about context. I need context all the time. As yeah. long as I live here, because physical physical form is the level of our existence. And so we are always in context. Well, it's it's one level, right? And, and then I'd make reference to Virginia's mandala to point out that there's there's multiple dimensions, right? So phys- physical is they're all necessary. They're all part of the whole. Um, mm-hmm. When you think of it that way, yeah. Um, but when you say the physical is not necessary, I want to know. In, is it in relationship or in my own life? Because in my own life, I need context all the time. I live in context. The only place you live in I, a physical context. Yeah, yeah. In phys- I live. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, I const. I live in constant physical context. Mm-hmm. What's the physical context of a dream? Well, I'm still there. I still am in contact, still in bed. I'm still in a context. Mm-hmm. Just because I might in sleep or deep sleep, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of my context. But without it, I wouldn't be there. I think you have something, but I really like to know um, if you really mean that statement. I don't believe a physical content is necessary anymore. Uh, And I thought it's necessary. It's necessary. Mm -hmm. I thought my your I thought your your uh, your contribution here was look, we're denying or we're ignoring context. We have to bring it in, as I thought you said, bring it to the fore. Let's bring it to the fore. It's not, let's get rid of it. It's not necessary. It's important. So if it's important, you don't get rid of it. You bring it to the fore. Yeah. So, for example, with Zoom, so with technology, how can we account for the physical limitations the fact that we're not in the same room and that we're not bodies together, right? So that that's different than if we were in the same room. There's something different happening. Mm-hmm. How how do you account for that? Well, one thing I might need to do is to be intentional about saying, John, right now I'm looking at you, and I need I might need to verbally reassure you or or point that out explicitly. Whereas if we were in the same room, you would know I was just looking at you because you would see my body oriented towards <clears> you. <throat> so I think there's a there's a different thing that needs to happen in the way that we make context real and the way that we can utilize it and to really make contact in new ways, right? 
Um, and then using the the verbal realm, you know, I, I think just what what that what that idea was getting at is I'm so happy that I'm still able to make meaningful contact with people, even though it's not the same kind of physical context. It's a different physical, and though it's different and separate. And that gets into maybe being more intentional about things like presence and listening and compassion and things that are more attitudinal or more value-based that would would really help any context, whether we're in person or not. But I think given that so much of our interactions are now out of necessity because of the pandemic, to be that much more intentional about what energy we're bringing to our physical self, to our, you know, the way that we're relating to each other, I think but is... Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better? I don't know. I'm not, you know, it's your paper, but wouldn't it be better if you said the physical context changes? There's none said if it's not, no longer necessary. Mm -hmm. I still have my own physical context, but the relational part changes. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the same room as you say. I'm not in in the present with you. Yeah. But, but I still have context. I still have context. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what what you're you know, what you're referring to are my like rough, like random, <laughs> chaotic notes on context. And uh, it's um, I think sometimes like an extreme idea allows us to kind of play with an idea of like how much, how much physical context is necessary to still have contact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So for one of the, right. So just maybe, maybe it's a question, how much physical contact is, is necessary. Now, one of the things that Virginia said is she said that she believed that if she couldn't touch people, she wouldn't be able to do the same kind of work that she was mm -hmm. able to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So that in her mind, there's you, zoom wouldn't work based on that idea. Um, so this, this is kind of where we're evolving or thinking, what is this deeper layer? Um, cause I, I don't know if you guys actually interacted with her, you probably could feel her energy, even though she wasn't touching you. Um, so, right. And, and, and I think that idea of like, we can transfer energy to each other, even though it's not a direct physical to physical contact, right? The computer is good enough to transfer the vibration of my voice into the microphone to your speaker. So hopefully that you feel some sense of my presence with you. You have to fill in a lot of the gaps because you're looking at the pixelated image. You're not actually looking at me. But even when you're looking at me, you're looking at me as this inverted you know, perception in your eyeball of rods and cones. It's still a, still a reflection. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, I, ironically enough, you're talking about the fact that Virginia lived in a context and time when there was no such thing as this. So yeah. she had the experience that we're having. I mean, you know, it used to be when I went to my law and ethics chain required training, telehealth was like taboo, right? <laughs> and yeah. now it's it's what almost all therapists do. And we've discovered this whole new context that maybe she would have changed her mind if she had had the experience. I mean, I, I have just 
been blown away by some of the transformations that have occurred by telehealth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it either. You know. Um, okay, so um, I'm wondering how you each are, are feeling about our conversation. Maybe we could start to uh, wrap up and, and just check in with each other about what's, what's bubbled up for you, um, how you've experienced this, what's going on in your inner context, outer context, uh, the space between us and our, our connections with each other. What are you noticing? For me, I've enjoyed it, but I'm also aware there's some other stuff. There's another context is that things pop up on my screen of, you know, another issue I need to deal with. And so it's like, okay, (laughs) I need to pull this to a close and deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, the whole idea is to me is really important. I really appreciate you surfacing just the, the word context. Uh, I think it, it has been, to me, ignored, somewhat ignored, in Satir's circle of self-context and other. And we have been doing a lot of self. We've done a lot of family stuff, uh, other, in terms of that. We haven't done very much with context. So I very much welcome you digging in there and bringing it to a surface and bringing it to the foreground, mm. not only our discussion but in in practice mm. or even conceptually that we will put more more um, light on this whole topic yeah but when you say that uh, everything i'm quoting you here when you say cont- context is everything <laughs> i don't need physical context it's no longer necessary that to me is way too re- you know, that's the one way only. There's only one way. Okay, I, okay, okay. I won't say that. <laughs> it's just like, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm not, quoting. I'm agreeing with, I'm agreeing with you. You got, you, you got me. I'm, um, quoting, I'm quoting Tim Sit right here. Tim. Sitt. I know, I know, but it's not a published, it's not a, pu- I haven't asked it to be published yet. And even if it was published, it could still be wrong. Um, I, I sent it to the publisher yesterday. So oh, John! Out in the world, you know. But but what what came up when you were when you were summer when you were what you were saying there about the importance of um, uh, <clears throat> foregrounding context? I was thinking about how context is everything, and that <clears throat> it may have it, you know, the way that we. Mm, the way that we think about energy and the way that we can focus our energy and bring that attention, bring that presence to ourselves, right? Or with each other, it's, it's, it starts to bring that at one minute, right? That we, we're all part of a sense of whole. And I think it is, it is really important. So um, I appreciate you both exploring this one word with me because I do think it is, is really important. There's a lot of mystery to discover there. And I appreciate the, the, the exploration and the challenge and you know the wish to grow together. That's what I feel. And that's very, very valuable. Mm-hmm. So um, okay. I, I wanna say amen to that in terms of, again, the concrete world that I live in, the gang interventionist. 
many of them have real trauma in their family systems, but some will say to me, this has nothing to do with my family. I had a beautiful family. The context that I lived in meant the minute I stepped out the door, there was war. If I was black, the Mexicans were after me. If I was Mexican, the blacks were after me, you know? And there's also the context of the trauma of their ancestors, whether it's the slaves or coming from Mexico. Mm. But that context in and of itself, I think, needs to be highlighted very much, Tim, in a very mm -hmm. concrete way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think if I can hold a space with you, of you, that also includes the context of how you got to be here in this present moment, then I can say I'm really making contact with you. You know, I think it's a it's a way of really loving someone is to to be connected to their context and then to create a mutual context. And I, I think that was my hope for today, that we could even transcend sort of our physical limitations and, and create a mutual space, a mutual context for, for us all to to discuss ideas and to share experiences. So Thank you. Um, I appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you. And